0: Good evening, Patriots, and it's Tuesday, September 27th in the year 2022. East Coast, you just hit Wednesday, and Wednesday is my travel day home, which I'm looking forward to, so I'm starting my trip back, slowly getting there. Patriots, before we begin, you all know how crazy this world is, and we know how uncertain so many things are from economics to food supply, and that's why I'm really proud to have brought on a new sponsor, My Patriot Supply. So right now, if you head over to My Patriot Supply and you go to Prepare with Bards, preparewithbards.com, you're going to get 20% off on a three-month food system. This is not, there is nothing more important than to prepare and to have food s- supplies on hand. And you've heard me say for a long time, a minimum of three months and ideally six. But the beautiful thing about My Patriot Supply is it's one of these things that once you get these stocks in place, you can set them aside and you don't have to touch them and they last for years. But you have them and that's the peace of mind you need in this point in time. So we've talked constantly about preparing. There is all sorts of levels of preparing. The emergency food supplies that are provided by My Patriot Supplies, which I have, are a baseline that everyone should have. It allows you to have that that absolute security of mind to know that those products are there and to have that for a minimum of three months for each person in the family. It's absolutely critical. So take it seriously. These are very critical times. We are seeing food shortages happening or the problem of food shortages being designed into the system. We're seeing it. Farm production is down. We've got food plants burning all over the nation. We have Cattle being slaughtered, chickens being tested for COVID and then being culled out completely in the millions. They're engineering food shortage. Take it seriously. They're, this is part of their control the food, control the money, control the energy, control the world. And so My Patriot Supply provides you with that baseline, three months minimum. But they, So if you head on over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping on those products there. So check it out. My Patriot Supply is a great company. I'm really proud that they've come on as a sponsor. And it's another one of these critical needs that we have to take care of it. So again, preparewithbards.com. Check it out. And all these links are always below the podcasts. So, you know, I've been reflecting a lot today, obviously, on this whole trip. This has been about, this will be six weeks tomorrow in fact, that I've been traveling. And I've had a chance to move through a large chunk of the country from the West Coast to the Midwest, to the Southeast, up to the Northeast, back to the Midwest, over to the Southwest, and now back home. I've met a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people. And the general consensus, in my opinion, is that We are just a great country with a lot of great people. The problem is that we have a deranged and psychopathic few. And by proportion, they are a few. I think their numbers, my guess is their numbers are probably around 30 million people, which sounds like a lot of people, but not when you're dealing with a country of 330 million. So about 10% that are deranged and psychopathic that have managed to seize control of the narrative. And really what's happened is you have an even smaller minority of that 30 million that have grabbed hold of the communication system, the legal system, the political system, the educational system, and CEOs and corporations across the country, especially those that have been controlled by Blackwater and BlackRock. Not Blackwater, BlackRock and Blackstone, excuse me, and Vanguard. Those companies control whole boards and leverage their power to force companies into compliance with this woke crap that we're dealing with, which is just nothing more than a satanic woke wokeness. Now, on top of that, we have another challenge, because if you really look at what's going on in the playboard right now, we have a very dark evil that's trying to seize control of the world, but we have this other side that looks good, but they're not real good at the core. And the problem with all of this is it's a setup right now. If you really pay attention to where they're headed, they're moving towards a one world religion, one world government. We have a military that's in complete disarray. In fact, the Air Force today defended its right to replace the terms parents with woke pronouns, they and them. So The idea that somehow that this is a veneer that's not true is wrong. The military is deeply corrupted with these new Marxist concepts. More concerned about its pronouns and defending the nation. And if you're more concerned about pronouns, you're definitely not concerned about the constitution and your duty to protect and defend from enemies, foreign and domestic. In fact, the narratives that are being built which is a this is one of the big dangers that we face is that the military is being brainwashed and shaped to see the american people the right wing trump loving trump supporting people as the domestic terrorists that has been the narrative for the last 6 years and in fact that narrative started under obama when they started bringing out black panther as a new superhero they started to turn batman into a gay Superhero, and they turned the same with Superman. They've just they've slowly degraded everything that people would hold on to as value principles over the time, and stripped away any social icons and turned them into some sort of debauchery of sexualization, and that's all part of the woke agenda to confuse people's way of thinking and to pluralize everything so that there's no truth. So the challenge that we really face right now as a nation is getting through this point on a clear azimuth. And that's where really this whole trip it was just so profound because that clear azimuth, and we know what that is. That's our relationship in Christ and through Christ to the Father. What is missing right now? And I, and I say this very, very poignantly. Churches have become a bit of a formula. And while I'm glad to see churches, there are certain churches that are growing and people are migrating to them to get the good word and to to find strength in Scripture, they nonetheless are very much a formula. And it's a formula of what ends up coming out to we want you to feel good and we want you to embrace a Jesus that is very much about love and hugs and flowers but we don't result in much action from churches. In fact, there's very little action coming out of churches as a whole, which is a big shift from where we were in in the colonial period. Because our churches were fire and brimstone pulpits that took a stand against tyranny, led people to stand against tyranny. And pastors had resolve. And that's... they. They rejected authority. They rejected authority over them. Today we see churches and pastors bowing down to the state authority, which is exactly opposite of what God would expect. And sadly, the congregations seem to be too timid to call it out. I'm really not sure where that comes from, to be honest with you, other than just mass indoctrination over time. But people have been very timid. To stand up to pastors, to stand up to deacons, to stand up to church boards and demand that things turn a different direction. Now, that has been happening to some degree in the Methodist church system. There's been a very strong revolt to the mandate, and part of it is because the Methodist church owns the church, and then they mandate down the doctrine. But don't kid yourself, all of this is emanating out of the Vatican, The Vatican is using proxies. It's also inviting people over to the Vatican. I had conversations with pastors on this exact thing. They invite people over to Rome, even if you're not Catholic. The the Pope is a Marxist. And they bribe them with money and an opportunity to convert to a woke strategy in their teachings. That is blasphemy by any term. And so our churches continue to be under siege. And part of that is that they know very clearly, they being those in power, understand very clearly where the origins of this nation are and were. And so with that, they have targeted the churches to buy them, to spread the wealth in various ways, to buy their loyalty. And and it's literally the 30 pieces of silver. There is So much weakness in our pastoral groups. It's stunning to me. I had an opportunity to meet with a really good group of pastors in Phoenix yesterday that have been working on creating a a, getting pastors involved politically. And we'll talk more about that this coming week. But it's there's four principles that they put forth that they were able to get everybody on board with. Unfortunately, one of those principles is not 2A, and I, I, made, I told them that. I said, I, I support what they've done, but they need to add 2A to make a fifth because the Second Amendment is the only final check and balance we have to tyranny. But pastors are afraid to do this, and pastors are afraid to step into the political realm. Pastors are afraid to even stand out. Many pastors are afraid even to take a stand against abortion. And then when you start getting into the woke strategy, they, they don't have any backbone, and the congregations aren't giving the pastor strength to stand up against the wokeness. Now, obviously, that's not all churches, but it's many right now, many churches. And it's a real sick statement on where things are. What I think that is very profound, and I'm, I'm just going to state by observation, and communication that I've had with so many in what is Bard's Nation is that we end up being a very unique remnant here. Many people have left churches long ago or recently. Many people have been disillusioned in their relationship with God because of the way things have been taught in churches. Some people go to church, but they, they come here as well for a, a different type of fellowship. But the one thing that is constant here is that There is a work and faith relationship to what people are doing. The engagement is real. Over the last three years, we've seen digital relationships built to real relationships, people coming together to build real live fellowships. These are very powerful things. And that's really what I want to focus on tonight, because this is really, as I'm winding down this trip, this is that that topic is what today was about. So one of the things I have a big issue with, a massive issue, when I say that, I mean I, I it gets me bent pretty quick. When I start I don't care what form it is, I don't care if somebody's writing an article, a book, or just making verbal accusations, when people are going after another church for whatever they're doing, and I and this is this is classic, there's so much division in our churches right now. people are throwing stones at other churches. One church is now blasphemous or Or it's heretic because they do this or that. But this is what I find almost every time. The pastors that are doing that have never gone and sat down with the pastors they're accusing. Seldom, if ever, does that happen. And that runs against my skin and it runs against biblical text. Because God expects us under God's law to sit down and have a face-to-face to try to work things out. That's expected. So I want to talk a little bit tonight about engagement, because as a term, it's very shallow when you mention it to people. It's like, oh, you want me to talk to somebody. But in a counterinsurgency method, when you talk about engagement, it has a very complex and very specific application. This is what I did, ultimately, all through my time in Afghanistan, was engagement. That was my primary mission and what I did. When someone said there was a bad guy, I say I want to go meet him. Now, I didn't always meet him, but that was my attitude. If there's a bad guy, I want to go meet him. And that sounds crazy, but this is what I'm getting at. We are quick. There's a thing in the milit- in, in, in Special Operations called the J-PELT list. Okay, J-PELT list is a kill capture list. And so if somebody wants somebody and they can put together a targeting package and they do the research and the intelligence, they put him, they put him or her on a J-PELT targeting list and then that packet is moved over to a special team that either does the kill or capture. Now, some of those guys are straight-up dirtbags, and just like criminals, they get what they've earned, to be honest with you. And I have no mercy for them when you're blowing up innocent lives with IEDs or murdering kids or whatever you're doing. But the thing is that we tend to do that as well in our own way, but we do it through escoriation. We do it through shaming. We do it through, through backstabbing. And we do it through ostracizing people from the groups that we're in. And we do it very quickly. And I will tell you that in my opinion, Christians are some of the worst at it because they get built into their enclaves of their churches. And then it becomes one church is better than another church. And I don't like this church because this is what they do. Not all churches are equal right now. I mean I I mean this because I started that out by saying that there are churches that are pushing this woke strategy, this woke stuff and this Marxist ideology. Those aren't churches of God. But we also have to be very clear that we need to engage those churches. And we as we need to engage churches where we find doctrine to go askew. I don't like reading articles about any church knowing that who's ever writing him, most always has never taken time to sit down and talk to that other pastor. And that sort of isolationism, verticalization, stove piping, whatever you want to call, is exactly the problem we're having because we're not bridging. God needs his churches unified as he needs his people unified in one body. And quite frankly, it's not complicated when we get down to it because when we simply look at what God's expecting of us, he is literally, we're going to stand before him and in some form of this, this is what's going to happen. He's going to look into our heart and say, let me see the image of my son in your heart and let me see how you lived through him in his word in your life. So engagement engagement is some of the toughest work people will ever do and i i think it's for that reason that people don't like to do it because engagement is literally sitting down with somebody and looking them in the eye and face to face and whether you and typically it's best if you break bread in real terms so you can do coffee and donuts is a good way in our culture in afghanistan it's almost always well it could be it can be over breakfast which their breakfast is actually pretty good it's chai Often it's chai and fresh bread and a sweet cream that they get imported from Sweden or Switzerland, one of the two. It's pretty amazing. And honey. Very addictive and very fattening, by the way. So whatever you do, if it's main meal in Afghanistan, it's going to be goat rice, lamb rice, water buffalo and rice, and some naan and some chai. But you're going to have an experience of sitting next to somebody, right next to somebody, and having discussions about real things. That's engagement. Because engagement principally in in the counterinsurgency model is to meet with influencers, but in particular, meet with your enemy. And I have met with a lot of bad guys. I've met one person that always stands out was was Governor Shurzai, which was the governor of Jalalabad. And he's probably premier king dirtbag of the east, eastern side of Afghanistan. He had 40 male slaves in a complex that he built right next to his palace that he had purchased over his life. And some were older and some were young. It didn't matter. But the one thing that's absolutely certain is every single one of those men had been raped by that governor. That's the type of dirt bags that I'm talking about. Setting an ID is in, in my, that's a, that's a warfare thing. This that's perversion when you're dealing with somebody like this. And our first instinct is to try to deal with them in a, like got to get rid of them. But in the work that I had, we had to work with some of these people by virtue of their place and their influence. And let me tell you, that is a hard chunk of flesh to chew off your lip. But that's what we have to do at times. And I apply this as in the extreme to make us realize what we're having to deal with here. We're not dealing with that in churches. At least I hope not. And yet that may not entirely be true because we know that last year, the Southern Baptist Church Network was busted for a massive child pedophilia ring. And... The Southern Baptist Coalition actually has no policy in place. They're trying to figure out how they can inform other churches when a pedophile in one church leaves and goes to another. Right now, there's literally no protocol, or there wasn't, there may be one soon, of how to inform other churches that a a pastor was a pedophile. That is so disgusting to me, I can't even tell you. It's so anti-biblical, but this is the corporation, the business of churches. And this is where things get really skewed and I said this the other night and it is a very clear message from father. And that is that the business of church can get so big and and I'll add my words so messy that it completely diminishes and overshadows our mission which is to seek the love of Christ. We have the obligation in this, as a remnant, as a and discipleship, to call out truth and demand truth, even if that's uncomfortable, and sometimes you have to stand out on a limb and stand alone, but that's the only way it's going to get done. So, if we're going to sit here and and start looking at other churches or other pastors, it is it should be mandatory that we engage them with what we feel, with what we say, and not disparage them. If at the very least, and I will tell you this from experience, I've sat with bad guys and we agree on little of nothing, but I will tell you this, there wasn't a meeting I had that someone didn't want to follow up meeting. I always held my line. but it's important that we find a way through this communication and it's the hardest work of all. It's, it's your neighbor as well. We are talking churches, but this applies to everything. It's your neighbor. Who's a radical liberal. Okay. You know, like, ugh, we all just cringe. your the neighbor that's woke has now got green hair. The husband's not quite cross-dressing, but he's become a complete submissive to his wife. I mean, all those things we can't stand. We still have to find a way to engage them because otherwise they, are, they remain a hostile force and you never know what will become of them. And we still have an obligation to at least try. It doesn't mean you're going to succeed. That's one thing about engagement. You never know you're going to succeed, but you always have to try. And it is the hard work. I think the thing that's amazing to me is I have sat with some of the worst people by reputation that one can sit with. I've had long conversations with one of the head enforcers for the Crips. That means he was the top assassin for the Crips. He also had an unbelievable knowledge of scripture, which is amazing in itself. But anyway, we've had long discussions. I've sat with, strippers and prostitutes i have sat with drug addicts and drug dealers i've sat with radical militia they were walked into meetings fully armed ready to shoot somebody i've sat with taliban who have blown up us troops when i say it's hard work those are hard work efforts And when we're moving that way towards trying to bring people to Christ, it isn't something that happens in one meeting. And this is where I get extremely frustrated with a lot of the attitude towards churches and even pastors around this nation is it's easy to write a text. It's easy to say things out loud. It's easy to post something on social media, but it takes time and hard work to sit with somebody and have a conversation over time to understand where their head is to understand so they understand where my head is or or the pastor's head is and in turn find enough exchanges so that there are areas where we can agree and many areas where we disagree. That may be the outcome. But casting stones on somebody is not going to get us anywhere. And the only way we're going to get through this is for us to demonstrate a different way. You're not going to just go into a church and they're going to tell them this. and They're going to be like, oh, what a great idea. I think we'll start doing that. We have to take the lead to demonstrate a different way. We have to show what can be done when we take time to listen. And that's principle no, rule number one with engagement is listening. Because we spend so much time talking. We always want to go into a meeting and talk. Don't go into a meeting and talk. Go into a meeting with the objective of listening. And when you learn to listen well to somebody, then you have good questions to ask them. And he who asks the questions controls the direction of the conversation. This is extremely important in this time. Because we don't need to be inciting more division, especially in our members of faith, especially with what's going on in this attempt to disrupt and destroy God's churches. And there is that legitimate attempt. So here's something that's to think about too, because when we start getting churches throwing stones at another church and there hasn't been that interpersonal communication, what really what the, the narrative that comes across is whether we accept it or not, especially for people new to the church is that that church, you go to hell, this church, you'll go to heaven. And that is extremely irresponsible and it's a consequence of doing this thing that is also so untrue. You can take some really wild churches, and I would even argue probably what I'm going to say, I'll take an extreme, which are like Mormons, and that's a whole nother bag of stuff. But you're always going to find within the ranks people that are truly trying to seek the heart of Jesus. That's where we begin. Because right there, that's power. And those are the ones you're trying to find to understand what they see. And sometimes people just go to a church because it's convenient, because there's other people that go to a church. and they're not they're not consumed with the doctrinal issues because they're what they're consumed with is the pursuit and the love of Jesus. And that's what we should all be doing. But engagement is a fundamental skill, and it takes a lot of practice. It takes nurturing. It takes discipline. And it takes listening. And it's something that has to be done all the time, not just in churches, but in our communities when we're meeting with our sheriffs, when we're meeting with our county commissioners. We have to confront with truth, but we have to listen to where they're at. The problem we get in with engagement is when you start talking too much, the other person starts to gain a distinct advantage of knowing how, if, if they're, especially if they're a politician, to knowing how to maneuver around what you're saying. The nice thing is when you deal with with warrior classes like the Taliban, there's not a lot of that crap that goes on. People are there to like lay out where they're at strategically or tactically and let you know pretty directly where they stand. And it it gets to be actually a pretty clear conversation pretty quick. But we're not dealing with that type of world. We're dealing with a world of deceit, deception, manipulation, circumvention, non-accountability. I could go on a whole list of things. And we literally are facing that in the church and outside the church. So it's really essential to me that we start really walking the talk. And we start listening and sitting down and making an effort to sit down with people, even though it's not always comfortable. And sitting down can be figurative. Because it it was (laughs) with your neighbor, that neighbor who's the husband who's now submissive to his wife, and the wife has now got a butch and in pink hair or something and they're voting Biden with Biden stickers all over. I mean, that's a that's a tough nut to crack. So the engagement might be more of a drive by. But nonetheless we have to try. And there's different ways through to the heart. The one thing that we can all agree on is that politics have been designed strategically to divide us. And it didn't used to be like that. And politics as it divides us, has divided us on so many levels because politics have brought in the ideas of the cultural war on gender identities, on roles of men and women, on the idea of indoctrinating children because the parents can't do it right, so the state has to intervene. These are the cultural wars that have been waged on what should be a foundational structure that God gave us. But what's missing in that conversation always, because we know it's happened, is that biblically we have removed every biblical reference from our culture and we've taken God out of everything. So it is literally a war that we're in. But we're not going to solve that war without an attempt to reach out to the other side. Maywand Afghanistan. It was the home of the Taliban. In fact, that was it wasn't well known it was the home of the Taliban. So and the special forces team I worked with didn't even realize that their team house that they had set up butted up against the wall of the building where the Taliban first got started in Afghanistan. So, it was. I'm trying to think of the date. It was somewhere around 2010, nine ten. There was a third group of special forces team down in May 1 that was on a patrol, and they got their vehicle was blown up by an IED, and they lost one of their guys. So, special forces command in Afghanistan which was up in Bagram, issued an abort order to have them remove, to have them exfil and get out of the area. That's when I got a call from a lieutenant colonel, Special Forces lieutenant colonel, who asked me if I could help because they had never had an abort order in their life and they weren't going, they didn't want to have that in their legacy. In the history of Special Forces, I should say, they'd never had an abort order. So I've been doing a lot of engagements, literally meeting with people randomly, getting to know people, eating way too much goat and rice. And so I called somebody who, I'd come to, who had come to trust me and I trusted them. And the thing about the war zones is you have a constant issue of trust. So as we talk about not having trust, trust lack of trust is as common here as it was in any war zone. You don't know who you're dealing with. And you don't know if the person you're dealing with half the time, at least in the beginning, you don't know if they're like an ISI plant. You don't know if they're on the back end, the CIA's slipping them cash to the back door. You don't know if they're working with the Russians. You don't know if they're working with the Taliban as an informant. You don't know if they're working with the government to try to cut some deal or if they're working with what their motives are, because that's one of the biggest ways of getting rich in Afghanistan is to get an American contract. So you really don't know what you're dealing with. So it takes time is my point. And this is where we don't do well in general because we want to have a meeting and call it good and away we go. Or we want to evangelize somebody in one meeting and away we go. And like everything's going to be good. Give me some points, Jesus, because I just spoke your name and we're good and off we go. and that's not the way it works. At least not for us cuz we're not God's son. So it takes many meetings. That's all that those types of meetings were ongoing every week and if I could do them every day I would when I was in Afghanistan because it was a constant reinforcement and building of a relationship of trust. That's foundational. So I had built that, so I made a call and to somebody who had some contacts in the southern part of Afghanistan, and yes, they knew somebody. His name was Hero Jabbar, and I've told some of this story before, and Hero Jabbar was absolutely unknown to us, meaning in any intelligence profiles we had, Hero Jabbar did not show up anywhere, and the reason he didn't is he wasn't on the take with anybody, he wasn't trying to. Cut contracts and line his pocket with money and go buy a palm in Dubai for him to retire in. So I introduced him into the equation and I worked with him for a year. And there were a lot of trials. He was very influential. People knew him. Hira Jabbar had done tremendous things in the southern part of Afghanistan. But it took a year of constant meeting and engagement and calling him and sometimes talking on the phone. Sometimes we yelled at each other. But we were committed to something. Once we got past a point, we were committed to something. And that was bringing peace to this small region called Maywand in in Afghanistan. That's what our objective was. And we knew it was possible. So a year later, I sat with him after having a brief lunch and he complained to me about how the Americans weren't doing anything. And the thing, to, this is again, when, as you get to know somebody, you start to understand what they value and what their cultural issues are that create value. And in Afghanistan, it's easy to speak words because they're an oral culture, but if you write something down it's almost as powerful as the word of God. And I I don't understate that because as an oral history culture. They tell everything and do everything very much on oral contract. But if something is written, it's like accountability before God. And that's what I demanded. After a year, it took me that long. And I said, Hero, I said, I need you to write on paper what you need for this peace treaty this peace deal to work. Quit complaining about what the Americans are doing. You need to deliver now. And I need you to sign it. I need you to have a witness in the parliament, because he was in the parliament at that time, in the parliament to sign it with you as witness. And I knew what I was doing because that committed him 100% into the model. And the thing is that by putting something on paper in this case, he was able He could then make the complaint if the American side didn't pull through on their side of the deal. He could make the complaint that we didn't do our part of the deal. And I was hanging way out on this one when I say that. I mean, it it wasn't really within my authorities to do this, but I did it anyway. I didn't care. It was too important. And fortunately, I had a command that was more interested in peace than anything else and they respected what I did. So when that was signed and we brought it and he brought it and we translated it and then I worked with a special forces colonel, another one down in Kandahar out of Camp Brown. Colonel Chris Riga, one of the best special forces colonels I've ever worked with. We worked together and made this thing happen and peace was brought to that region for almost a year. But it all started with just sitting around, literally breaking bread and talking. It didn't take any money. There was no money put in on this deal other than Hero's plane flights down to the South First Class which didn't cost much. But there was no money exchanged. Wasn't any special favors done, and I say this because what's really important to understand here is these are two people that are of very opposite cultures. This is Islamic culture meets works with Christian culture. That's a big one, a gap that's hard to bridge, and it can be done. When we were with doing the tour with Kilroy Rising and. The fall of 2016, we had probably one of the most difficult engagements I've ever had. And we pulled it off, myself and a close friend of mine, Special Forces veteran, who was with me. But we ended up in a room where we had strong, opinionated, Obama-loving, pro-abortion liberals on one side, and I mean literally, like there was about 10 or 15 of them, and if you, to talk about the other side, they were all wearing militia colors, and they were all militia, gun-toting, 2A, anti-abortion Obama haters. And let me tell you, that was... <laughs> And by the way, Vice News was on site to film it. And we pulled it off. And when I say we pulled it off, what we were able to do is to get people at the end of that who at the beginning literally wanted to strangle each other. We worked for over two hours in conversation, and I can't tell you how many slanderous things were thrown at me by the liberals. And an occasional stupid comment from The conservative side, I hate to say it, but I mean, it was really like dumb stuff that was being said. But in the end, we were able to foster a relationship or an understanding that we all liked, we all loved the Constitution. And though we couldn't agree on all things, we came to an agreement in principle that politics was dividing us, that we had a lot that we could come together to understand and then we could learn from each other. And that's a starting point. And that was after two hours of people I didn't even know. So my point is that in this time when it seems like we're so divided, we're going to stay that way Unless we get up and start making the demonstration of how to do this. And when we add to that mix the fact that we're walking with Jesus and we're bringing that power of Jesus to the table, even though it may be unspoken, it is there. We can bridge places that seem impossible to traverse. And when it comes to churches, and this is just a statement To anybody in a church or any pastor that's listening, stop throwing stones. I don't care how bad that church is. Go see them. Sit down with them. Talk to them face to face. Spend time to hear their heart and let them hear yours. But don't be don't accept the idea that we're going to hole up around our walls of our church because then all we do is we become a fortress and we're not doing God's effort, which is to bring peace and bridge the differences and unite the church. If we could demonstrate unity in our churches, the world would change. And so since we know that's not going to happen, We have to work on building unity amongst ourselves because there within lies the church that Jesus always talked about. It's within us. So, engage, listen, pray, and bring that love of Christ to every interaction you have with every person it's easy to fight patriots it's a gunfight's pretty damn easy believe it or not the hardest work is when you have to sit down with that person across from you knowing that the gunfights already happened and you have to find a way to where you can talk to them and they can talk to you and find common ground to build a bridge We're going to need as many people in this fight together as we can walking with Jesus. And it's easy, and we talk a lot about the idea of Gideon and the select 300, and I, and I honor that in the power of God all the time, and you know that. But it's been pretty, made pretty clear to me on this trip that we're going to need each other We're going to need First Nations and Last Nations healed. We're going to need us coming together because what's coming is going to be big. It's going to shake everything in so many ways. And the more that we are together in a common footing on the rock with Jesus, the more we're going to weather this without a lot of scarring or damage. But it's going to begin with a remnant that has the courage And the strength and the will and the desire and the love of Jesus in their heart to find a way to build the bridge. Let's pray. Jesus, so happy you're with us tonight and thank you. And Tonight, Jesus, I just sit here as I'm talking and the story I didn't share but constantly is going through my head is the moment that you stood between or knelt between the accusers and the adulteress. And I always find this story, Jesus, when people tell it, so often people are curious what you were scribbling on the ground and they miss the most important point that you were listening And in a single stroke of the sword of the spirit, Jesus, you disarmed both parties with such beautiful and simple and insightful words. So I pray tonight, Jesus, that people can look at that scripture and learn from it. To realize the power of truth. And more than truth, the power of truth that forces us to look deep within. And within there, we can start finding our way through this as people have to face who they are and ultimately face their accountability before Father God. Jesus, we pray for our churches. We pray that they can put down the sticks and the stones. And though they may not all get along, and I don't expect they all will, at least make the effort to sit across from one another, with one another, break bread and have a conversation before we start casting stones. And I, I hope we would do the same, Jesus. As a remnant, we have to do that amongst ourselves and we have to do it in such a way as you showed me and reminded me today, even, that we have to walk the path that we want others to see because so few are doing it. So I pray And we pray this evening, Jesus, that the remnant will lead with works in faith, will lead by demonstration of showing what it's like to take the time and the patience and the listening to build the bridge, to not cast stones, and to remember that when we point one finger forward, there's three pointing back at us, and therein lies perhaps our greatest humility and our greatest challenge and our greatest victory. Jesus, thank you for this journey that I've been on that has allowed me to share so much for this nation. Thank you for the insights today reminding me to walk that path, not just talk it. And thank you, Jesus, for the beauty of what you've brought to each of our lives. And continue to. And may the pursuit of the love of you consume everybody that listens and is part of Bard's nation. And I say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So. It's just so important that we engage and talk and sit, and hear, and listen. And not just listen, but hear. We have to do this. And then we start to really grow. And there are going to be times that we will absolutely agree to disagree. But at least we've spoken our peace before another, as God would expect. And at least we've tried to speak our heart, as hopefully they will speak their heart. But it can only happen if one attempts, and it only takes one. So, let us lead, not follow. Let us demonstrate to the world what that looks like as we do it. And remember, it's small victories. Begin with the neighbor, begin with your friend, begin with your family member, whatever there. But it's small victories that lead to bigger victories that lead to... The restoration of God on the throne. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow. Duncan's going to do Bended Knee. And then I will do Bards FM and Fishers of Men tomorrow night. And then back on regular schedule on Thursday. But tomorrow's my last leg home. It's going to be a good trip back. I'm going to stop by and see a pastor that I've been wanting to see for a while. And then the final leg to the house. Six weeks has been a beautiful trip. Thank you all for your continued prayers. Thank you all for being part of this amazing nation. Let us always pursue that intimate and fantastic love with Jesus. Make him your best friend and part of every day, part of your day. So, I'll see you tomorrow. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
1: Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh, I want to feel something. Back in my body